right now. We're going through devotionals from the life and teachings of Jesus. These are vignettes. These are passages that don't of themselves make for a full class, but are, are, are passages that have wonderful lessons for us to learn. So we've got a series of them today in honor of Janet Seifert's request. Where's Janet? Is she cutting class? No, she's there. Wake up, Janet. I put it on a roadmap for her. Um, This is our road. Today we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to make a couple of stops on that road. We're going to stop at a passage that deals with your head and your heart. Then we're going to go to another passage that tells you to watch those eyes. We'll make a third stop about worries. We'll make a fourth stop about persecution. Hopefully won't dwell there too long. Make a fifth stop, if we've got time, that deals with some questions beyond our actions. So that's your roadmap. Those are the stops we're going to make as we work through parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, my anticipation is to teach on Jesus and prayer and things that Jesus teaches us about prayer. Not simply the Lord's Prayer, but others as well. Again, vignettes that are good for a daily devotional in a sense, but are passages that we're looking at where we might overlook some of these things if we just dwelt only upon each individual passage for the whole class. So let's start with that first stop, head and heart. Here's the passage. It's from Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Ready? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a passage where the the significance of this passage was unlocked in my life. I tried to put a date on it and I couldn't, but it was a long time ago. And it came about as a result of a song by John Michael Talbot. And the song was one where the the song itself was pretty and all, and, and it would go on and on and on and on and on. Nothing personal, John Michael. He watches these occasionally. Uh, It goes on and on in a beautiful way. But there's a chorus that he just kept coming back to. And that chorus would would be an earworm. It would get into my head and I couldn't get it out. And I found myself singing that chorus over and over and over. And it comes from this passage... And the verses right after it, which say, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he had this course where he says, For wherever your treasure is, there you will find your heart. And he says, So that was his course. Seek first the kingdom of God and the wealth of his righteousness. For wherever your treasure is, there you'll find your heart. And that got into my head at a very... God connection moment. It got into my head. I think I was a law student at the time. And I was teaching a class called Campus Advance to about 125 college students on Wednesday nights. 
And a number of those students would come up to me and say, hey, I've got an issue, I've got a problem. And two of those students had identical problems that on their face looked like they were opposites. One of the students was a young married couple, and the fella in that relationship just did not feel like he loved his wife the way he thought he should, would, or did when they got married. Then the other one was one of an unmarried woman, college girl, who was in a relationship with a fella that was not a good relationship. And she knew she needed to leave the relationship. But she couldn't figure out how because Her heart was too tied up in it. And it was interesting to me to see that these two seemingly opposite situations, one, a fellow in a a marital relationship that just didn't love his wife the way he thought he should, didn't feel it, and another with a woman in an unmarried relationship who felt too tied in with her heart to her fellow, to leave the relationship that was unhealthy and ungodly. And in the midst of dealing with that, I've got this chorus from John Michael Talbot going through my head. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and the wealth of his righteousness. For wherever your treasure is, there you will find your heart. And I realized that the problem of the wandering heart is explained here in very practical, real terms by Jesus. Where you invest your treasure, you will find your heart. That's a rule that I've observed in the 40 years since. 35. And the 30... I don't want to get too old. I don't want to be like Holly... Um, I met my little sister, Holly. Um, yeah, she is my favorite part of the Johnson clan too. I'm in bad, bad trouble. I apologize. No, I, I mean, I, 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 I got this. So now it is time for class discussion. Here is what we're going to do. So if we go to the Elmo, let's see if this works. Uh, okay, I'm not saying that this is great. I'm not an artist, as you all know, but I've been working on this one. Okay, it's not really doing as good as I was hoping. Hold on. Okay, 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 okay. I got I got possibilities here. Don't don't give up on me. Here, 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 here. You'll know what this is. You're gonna know what this is. Look at that. That's a giveaway. Here. Yes, yes, yes. Here, shade that in a little bit, make it look dark. A little darkness in there. Okay, what is that? Treasure chest. Okay, I want you 
to help me, and you're going to have to say it loud so I can hear you, I need to know what kind of treasures we've got. Uh, I want to know your assets. Come on. We got money, house, car. Those are material things. Family. We got family. What else do I have? What else do you have? I have tick-tock, tick-tock. Time. Health. Clothes. Did someone say a face? Let's just go body, okay? <laughs> I mean, this face is a treasure. This body is a nothing. Uh, okay, we got health, material, family, clothes, body, faith, uh, beliefs. Let's, let's make it big. We got our minds. We got what we think about. We've got... Uh, Talents, talents, ooh, that's a good one, talents. Career, did someone say football? <laughs> okay, I think class discussion is over. <laughs> Look at this list for a moment and add football or whatever I didn't quite get on there. Where your treasure is, you'll find your heart. Let's take our time. Where I spend my time, my heart's going to follow. If I spend my time in God's Word, I'm going to grow in my love for God's Word. If I spend my time with God's people, my heart will be with God's people. If I spend my time with my wife, my heart will go with that investment. If I spend my time in my career, my heart to some degree will go to that career. I had to tell that couple that I was, the two people that I was counseling, one of them was the young lady in a relationship that was destructive. And her heart was so tied in, she could not leave that destructive, ungodly relationship. And do you know why her heart was so tied in? She had invested in it. She'd given that fella her body. She'd given that fella her emotions. She'd given that fella her time. And there was a connection. There was a heartfelt connection that she couldn't rip away from because where her treasure was, her heart was. And that fellow who wasn't loving his wife didn't find his heart there. He was spending all of his time working and in school and studying and doing things apart from his wife. And any spare time he had, he'd be out with his buds. And the answer to him was the opposite of the answer to her. It was spend your time and treasure with your wife. Share your heart with her. Share your emotions. Share your minds. Share your beliefs. Share your... You don't have to share your clothes. Share your body. 
Dress for them. That's the way you would share your clothes. Invest your talents in that person and you'll find your heart there. Now Jesus says, if we go back to the PowerPoint, if Jesus says... Our concern needs to be not laying up for ourselves treasures that are on earth, but treasures in heaven. He says, take your mind, take your heart, and invest them wisely. Put them together. Don't think of your head one way and your heart the other. No, by using your head, you can determine where your heart is. Some people say, well, I just can't help it. I just fell out of love. Or I just fell into love. Yes, you can help it. Don't be naive. Don't be stupid. And don't be exculpatory. By that I mean, hey, it's not my fault. Wrong. Make a decision. Invest your time, invest your emotions, invest your talents, invest your energy, invest your money, invest your treasure. Invest everything you've got into what you value and you'll find your heart there. And that needs to start with the Lord Jesus. Everything you've got you need to invest in Him. You'll find your heart there. If you say, but the, 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 the flame for the 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 the, the the burning passion I had for the Lord when I was a young believer seems to have faded somewhat. Then my challenge to you is double down your investment in the Lord Jesus and let Him stoke those embers back into a roaring flame. And you'll find your heart there. You with me? All right, vignette's over, but let's pray about it. Father, I ask you to speak to each of us and help us to see whether or not our treasure is in stuff of this earth that is outside of you and your will, or whether we are focused in seeking first you and your kingdom and your priorities, your love for each other, your love for this fallen world, your love for our families. Would you empower us, Father, with wisdom to chart our investments as carefully in your kingdom as we might in our bank accounts? In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, next stop on the highway. Watch those eyes. Here's your passage. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Now this may just seem like a gimme. But we live in a visual age. I was at a board meeting yesterday of a, of a board I serve on and we were talking about the generation of folks that are 
at this point, it would even be birth, but really up to about age 28, 29, 30. Okay? I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you're in that age group, birth to age 30, raise your hand. Holly, put your hand down. We already know you're 48. (laughs) Anybody else? All right. We've got a few. (laughs) She's going to (laughs) really get me. I've got to keep my back covered. Um, Here's the deal. Y'all are sometimes called screenagers. Because when you were growing up as teenagers, you had screens in front of you all the time. I mean, you have screens on phones. When I grew up, the idea of a screen on a phone, that's like impossible. Nobody would have ever dreamed that. You got screens on cameras. Our cameras were these little bitty pinholes. You got screens on remote controls. You got screens on computers. We didn't have computers, much less screens. We had one screen in our house. It was a TV you got them now in lots of rooms. you got more channels than we would have ever dreamed possible. This is a generation that's grown up visual. As a trial lawyer, when I, when I pick juries, if I'm picking a jury that is where jurors are over the age of 70, I know that they are much more captivated by words than that generation that's younger than them because they grew up listening to the radio, they grew up reading, etc. We don't even, the, the, the current generation of screenagers, the national statistic is they watch 24 movies for every book they read. It's bizarre. But because of that, we pause and we look at this verse and I ask you this question, what are you looking at? What are you doing? What are you feeding your brain, your soul? What are you feeding yourself? When I was growing up, If you wanted to indulge in pornography, you had to go into a store and embarrass yourself by buying it. We live in an age now where people can indulge in pornography in the solitude of their home without anyone knowing it other than the Lord as long as they have a computer and access to the Internet. What are we going to feed ourselves? What are we going to let into who we are? Do we understand that what you see leaves an impression upon your mind? Jesus wasn't just filling time with this passage. He wasn't shooting the breeze with his disciples. Jesus was being dead serious and dead earnest. And as the man, the God who designed humanity, 
he's unlocking for us a critical fact. What you see makes a difference in what you think and who you are. And so be careful what you see. And this is, so in uh, September coming up, um, I teach a seminar. In fact, uh, uh, I've got some folks in here that'll be there um, where I teach lawyers how to try cases. So I have about 500 lawyers coming together out in the woodlands and I'll teach for two days. I speak for eight and a half hours each day. Pray for me. Um, but one of the things I teach them is how to use visuals in trial. Because what we see makes an impression upon us beyond simply what we hear. Do you know the McGurk effect? Really? Okay. You'll answer that differently if you'll wake up for just a moment and watch the power of the eyes and the McGurk effect. Let's see if the video's going to play. Are you ready? And we should have sound going. And watch. Listen to Greg speaking. Bar, 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 bar. What do you hear? If you heard bar, 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 you'd be right. But how about now? Bar, 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 bar. Chances are you heard far, far, far this time with an F. Except you didn't. In fact, the audio didn't even change between the two videos. Bar, bar, bar. Strange as it may seem, what you hear depends on which video you're looking at. Go ahead. Take turns watching each video and see how the sound morphs. This is a perfect example of something called the McGurk effect, which shows how our visuals can alter what we believe we're hearing. Kind of crazy, isn't it? But it's true. What you hear, your ears have one gateway into your brain, one conscious gateway. That's why even though you've got two ears, you really only hear one conversation at a time. Your eyes have multiple gateways, some more subtle than others. It's the reason why you can be looking at something and something can fly at you from peripheral vision and your, bot, your brain will still recognize it and do something about it. The science tells us why what Jesus said was true is so true. But Jesus had it nailed long before the scientists figured out why. What you see makes a difference in what you believe, in how you think, in who you are, in your reality. So my mom uh, was, my mom, absolutely brilliant, incredible, phenomenal mom. Brilliant, incredible, godly, phenomenal grandmom. She had some of our daughters with her. And this was at a stage where our daughters wanted to go see a movie. It was just not a godly movie. I mean, it's okay, it, 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 it's, it's okay to say it's not a godly movie, but I mean, this was like an ungodly movie. This is one where you just think, don't lose your, 
some shred of your innocence watching this kind of garbage. But it was billed to the kids. And all the kids are seeing it. And they want to go see it with their friends. And so mom has the girls over and says, let's make some brownies. What? Let's make some brownies. And so they do. The girls come over. They're excited. They get to play with Mimi. They get to make brownies, and they're mixing up the brownies, and they're following the box instructions, and they've cracked the egg and put the egg in, and they've added the oil, and they've added the water, and they're about to mix it up. And Mom says, wait, 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 before we're done, yeah, go out and get a handful of dirt, and let's add that. They said, Mimi, that's not on the recipe. So it's pretty dirt. No, that would be disgusting. And mom said, wait a minute. Are you telling me you don't want to eat something that's going to be disgusting to your body? She said, because there are movies that are like that, that have dirt in them that you really don't want to put into your body. You don't want to see it because you don't unsee it. So the question is, what are you looking at? Watch out for those eyes. Can we pray about this? Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to give us sensitive hearts and minds on this issue. Father, Job talked about making a covenant with his eyes on what he would look at. And I ask that you would instill in us the courage and the desire necessary to ask you to help us in this regard. Help us police what we look at, Father. We want to have your eyes. We want to see your light. We want sin to be something we grieve over, not consume Would you shine your light on us, Father, in ways that that enlighten our hearts and our spirits and our eyes? Give us discipline. Give us holiness. Through Jesus, our Lord and teacher, we pray, amen. All right, next stop on the road. About those worries, Matthew 6, 25, here's your passage. Therefore, I tell you, Don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Worry. Have you ever worried? Are you awake? Let's try it again. Have you ever worried? Oh, good. I thought I was just the, needed to just take this lesson with five of you and go down the hall. But it turns out it will be helpful for a number of us. Worry. So, you young kids don't know this, but there's a book. That's one of them things bound. There's a book called a thesaurus. A thesaurus is not a kind of dinosaur. Though, for many, the thesaurus is also extinct. 
A thesaurus is a book of synonyms. It's a book where you look up one word and you can find other words that mean much the same thing. Now, most children don't have thesauruses because they're computer, screenager, internet-savvy people, and I think you can get the same thing with a right-click on the mouse. Twice. Okay. At any rate, I use an apple. We don't have right-clicks, but it's a two-finger, bam, on the apple. Look up worry. Here are some other words. Agitation. Anxiety. Anxiousness, apprehension, apprehensiveness, care, concern, concernment, disquiet, disquietude, fear, nervousness, solicitude, sweat, unease, uneasiness. The Greek word means the same thing. The Greek word is translated in, in the English Standard Version here as anxious, but it also means worry. It's, 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 it's got the same breadth of meaning very much like our English concept of worry. And here's what Jesus says. Don't be worried. Don't be agitated. Don't be apprehensive. Don't be concerned. Care? Hmm. Don't be disquieted. Don't be fearful. Don't be nervous. Don't sweat. Don't be uneasy about your life. Now this can cause, uh, there's a psychological term, cognitive dissonance, where we believe one thing, but we don't really believe one thing. I mean, where our life and our reality are, are in discord with what we're hearing and believing. And, and what cognitive dissidents theorists say is that you'll change what you believe to try and get rid of that. We don't like it. So we'll look at a passage like this and realize, wait a minute, I am anxious about my life. I do worry. I do care. I am concerned about these things. And Jesus tells me not to be. So let me do something to fix this problem. This cognitive thinking dissonance that's going on here. Okay. I don't think we're being honest with the passage if we've got cognitive dissonance. So here's what I want to do. I want us to, to have a little honesty coaching session for just a moment. I think what this passage is really telling us to do is to retune our perspective. I don't think it's saying that these things are not important. They are important. Look, food, shelter, our families, our health, these are important matters. Jesus is teaching us things so that we learn to live right and take care of that. The Bible's loaded with advice on how to take care of money. The Bible's loaded with advice on how to take care of your body, how to take care of your relationships. 
Paul says, if you're not going to work, you don't get to eat. This is not a lottery life that Jesus is teaching where all we need to do is skip down the road whistling zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. And everything's going to be taken care of. That's not a fair rendering of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that food and shelter and these other things, they are important. But what's more important is living in service to God. And if we are living in service to God, then God's going to take care of everything. That's the assurance. But living in service to God means being gainfully employed. It means being prayerful. It means putting your others more important than yourselves. It means the golden rule. It means to pray without ceasing. It means to honor the Lord with our bodies. There's a host of things that are involved in living in service to God. And what Jesus is saying is, if you live in service to God and you make that your priority with all that it entails, you don't have to worry about that any more than the sparrow or the lily of the field has to worry when they live and do what God put them there to do. So we live, this is a priority shift. This is retuning our perspective on life. Don't spend your time and your energy exhaustively worrying and agitated about whether or not you're going to be able to retire. Spend your time and your energy figuring out how God wants you to live and when he wants you to retire. Spend your time and your energy figuring out how to put away in store, as the Proverbs say that ants do for the winter. Use your time and your energy figuring out how you can manage to live within your means because you can't serve mammon and God. Live your t- spend your time and your energy trying to figure out how to invest in relationships. Prioritize those things. You know, figure out how to be the best worker to the glory of Jesus. And then if you work at some patent place where there's just so much drama and everything else, you live your life before the Lord and you will be taken care of, even if it means a different job. Our focus needs to be on the perspective. This is not lottery living. This is faithful living. This is just saying, I'm going to be faithful. Okay? We're at the end of the stop, so let me pray for you at this stop, and we'll move on to the next one. Lord, uh, with a class this large in this room, not to mention the, the, the fact this lesson lives on through the hands of so many people working so hard on the Internet, I'm sure that there are worries and anxieties and cares and concerns and uneasiness that range the entire gamut from health to economics to social to future to past to work to home, relationships. 
Father, I can't even begin to exhaust the worries that we have. But I hear Jesus. I hear you, Lord, instructing us to take those worries and burdens to the foot of the cross and lay them down before you and walk humbly in your sight as you direct us. And so, Father, I pray that you will give us the wisdom and the fortitude and the know-how to lay before you all of our worries right now. And I wish anybody praying with me would just think about and list to the Lord what you're really worried about right now. And, Father, that you would take those worries and teach us your faithfulness as you instruct us how to live holy in the midst of the crisis that causes the worry. In trusting you with the end result. In the name of Jesus, the greatest display of your trustworthiness we could ever imagine. Amen. Okay, next stop on the road. We've got two stops left. We've got six minutes. Three minutes per stop. Persecution. Ugh. Here's your passage. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can I make a confession, please? I really don't like this passage. This is one of those when I'm reading it, I like to go through it real fast. And I don't like to dwell on it. I asked myself why. And I came up with two reasons that really rose to the top. Reason number one. I don't like persecution. I don't like when people hurt. I don't like when people aren't happy. I don't, I, I don't, I don't enjoy people being miserable. I don't enjoy people crying. I don't enjoy people being upset. This isn't new. This is old. I've always been this way. I can remember in high school, I had a girlfriend who I broke up with and she started crying. I said, okay, I take it back. (laughs) I mean, it's like, well, I don't want to make you cry. I mean, this is, I just don't like people being unhappy. And I read this passage, and I think, well, that's not very nice. This isn't a fun one. That's one reason. I think there's a second reason, maybe even more important. I have what I'm calling survivor's guilt. That last case I tried where I had 22 ladies that I had the honor of representing in court. Six of them had passed away before the trial was over. And I had some of those that had not passed away, several of which were in remission of the cancer on the stand. And I was asking them, what's some of the hard things that you've endured? And one of them said to the jury, survivor's guilt. 
75% of the women who get this cancer die within five years. And I haven't. And I feel guilty because of all of my friends who have. You know, you make this network of people who are going through treatment with you and are going through the same thing and you see them die and you don't. Soldiers, some soldiers come back with survivor's guilt. Why did my buddy next to me get blown away and I didn't? Or lose a limb and I didn't? See, I've got some survivor's guilt on this thing. Because to be honest with you, I haven't remotely been persecuted for the cause of Christ in nearly 58 years on earth. There are people who are locked up in this world for the cause of Christ. There are people who are killed for the cause of Christ. There are people whose lives are at stake. There are people who've lost their houses. They've lost their families. They've lost their money. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their positions for the cause of Christ. You cannot go to North Korea and proudly proclaim the Lord Jesus. You can't go to Iran and proudly proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus. There are places in Africa where you cannot proudly proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus. There are people in this world who are truly suffering persecution in the name of Christ. And I cry when I have a headache on a Sunday morning and I have to teach. What? Survivor's guilt. I mean, I see this passage, and I just want to read past it really fast, but I can't. And I still ask myself this question, as I do with each thing I read in Scripture or try to. And that is, how does this apply to me then? Then how does this apply to me? I've got, I've got the most wonderful life in this world. How does this apply to me? And I don't know all of the answers to that, but I can tell you a little bit. Number one, thank you, Lord, for this life. And please forgive me for my whining and belly aching. Number two, our daughter Sarah, she had her wisdom teeth out. And that was like bad. It was Wednesday. Right now she looks like a basketball with two eyes is the description that, that Ann Young used from when Bill and Ann's daughter had that done. And that's pretty close. And she starts class in the morning at Baylor. Hi. <laughs> I look like something off the Willy Wonka movie. <laughs> and I'd love to say... Hey, if you've got two minutes, pray for my daughter. But i got to tell you, I want you to, but there are people in this world who are right now, their life is on the line for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I'm guilty of only praying within my circle oftentimes when I ought to be praying for the Lord's circle. 
And so this not only means to me on my knees, Lord, thank you for this life, but it means, Lord, bless those who are being persecuted. Give them strength. I guess what I'm saying is, is one way to prize me is let's pray about this. Father, God, Lord, King of Kings, Creator, Provider, Sustainer, Wisdom of the Ages, Ruler of the Universe, Defeater of Evil, Vanquisher of the Sin and the Sinners. Would you please, Father, please give strength to those right now who are hurting for the cause of Christ. Would you give tender mercy to them? Would you sustain them? Would you build them up? Would you encourage them? Would you bless them? Would you protect them in the ultimate sense? And would they sense being held in the hollow of your hands in the midst of misery, persecution, loss? Reward them greatly, Father, for the sake of your Son and the sake of your kingdom. And forgive me for my failures to pray, for my lack of gratitude, for my selfishness and self-centeredness in this world and in this life. Move me, Father, to spend regular time in prayer for your kingdom and its saints. For the sake of Jesus, our Lord, amen.